This episode was supposed to be about B2B marketing, and it is, but it's also about whose opinion matters when you buy something, why marketing hasn't changed since the dark ages, and, well, Vegemite chicken. (laughs) Welcome to the wonderful mind of marketing problem solver, Mark Ankukik. Hi, I'm Sarah Spence. I grew a content agency from just me to 20 people inside two years. So you'd think I'd have my shit together. And even though I try to come at everything with a rebellious curiosity, I've been so focused on growing this thing that I'm a bit behind in the trends. Join me on this journey to find out what's actually happening in the world of marketing. Welcome to the Content Rebels. Creating content is really about working out who you're speaking to and what they want to hear, right? Well, maybe. Mark Ankukik is a B2B marketing consultant, and he's been here in the marketing game for over a decade. And somewhere in there, he stopped doing exactly what he was told to do and started doing something that made more sense to him, and probably to a lot of other people. So Mark works in marketing, but his profession is actually problem solving. His favorite clients are those that haven't really been doing any marketing because they have the most fun problems to solve. He's got a dry wit and doesn't mind it when I get his name wrong. So back in the old country, it would have been Nkuchik, but we changed it to Nkusik here because we we thought it'd be easier to say, but I don't think that's quite washed out. And even though I don't really know how to say his surname, Mark's a mate of mine. B2B marketing is his thing, so it makes sense to start by getting his interpretation of how B2B marketing is faring right now. But his response wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Um, I would say uh, it's a nightmare. Um, it's just gotten harder and harder over the last, I want to say, even couple of years. Attribution's getting way more difficult to actually pin down to any form of accuracy. There's a billion tools. There's there's so many competing priorities from businesses. There's a complete misunderstanding sometimes internally of what content's supposed to be, or there's a there's a misunderstanding of who the audience is. There's a lot of things need to go right uh, for marketing to work in a B two B organization, and a lot of the times it's not there. So it's a it is it is a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. And so, do you feel like then that B two B has even changed much, or is it just that? like marketing in general that's a nightmare these days i think i think b2c has b2c has the luxury that you're only ever really talking to people that need to buy things without too much buy-in from other people sure it does happen but when you're a business talking to another business the first thing is at, at you know when tech SaaS and all that stuff started was new like people looking for tools they thought tools could say you know change their world solve all their problems but now the area is flooded and this goes outside of B2B tech SaaS as well just there's endless services endless you know agencies endless everyone promising everything and so it's it's really hard now to gain that trust and to fight you know to sort of stand out in that crowd so it's yeah it's uh it's definitely changed a lot in B2B. It probably has changed in B2C. I haven't been in B2C for a, for a little while now, but I can't imagine it's changed that much comparatively. I guess the other thing as well is just defining what the actual problem you're facing is. So a lot of companies that I, I consult for, I've worked in, they're kind of they're like, oh my God, we, we have to do X. And it's like, okay, well, why do you have to do X? It's like, I've seen everyone else do it. 
it's, you know, talk of the town, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, people get great results from doing this thing. And it's like, well, is it actually going to work for us? And that is, that is the real problem that's, you know, that uh, businesses, any businesses in the B2B space should be really focusing on. It's like, what problem are we trying to solve? And can it be solved through marketing efforts? And if it can be solved through marketing efforts, what should those efforts be? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do businesses really sell to other businesses or is it more people to people? Is that a more accurate representation? You know, is B2B actually different to B2C? Because from my perspective, I feel like it really is about people. We like we are a business, but we are people within a business selling to people who are working for another business or a brand. You know, I'm not content copywriting selling to Koala or Modibody. I am Sarah and I am speaking to and trying to engage with the individuals within those businesses. Does that make any sense? Well, I think it really depends on the question of, is there a buying committee on the other side? And most often there is for B2B, whatever it is. So, you know, if you are a big agency that's going after, you know, a big client, or maybe you're working for government, you have to go through so many loopholes, you know, you've got to make sure your privacy policy is right, you've got to make sure data is stored in the right way, you've got to talk to XYZ, you know, person in there to make sure that your service or product or whatever it is can actually be used. Uh, with beta, you know, beta C or whatever you want to call it, this sort of more direct person to person thing, most of the time, there's going to be your business or your marketer straight to that person. But in reality, it doesn't always wash out like that. Because if, you know, if I wanted to buy a car today, I would need to check in with my wife. Like that is, that is something that would have to happen. But if I wanted to buy a tool for my business, uh, my consulting business, I wouldn't have to ask anyone. That is straight B2B. You can advertise to me like I'm a singular person. And that can work for in-house as well. Like you know that if your tool or whatever it is you're selling only costs like 25 bucks a month or something, you you really not you, you are selling person to person, but yeah, so it's just about you gotta ask, like it's it's always gonna be people to people or person to person, but it just depends on how many people are on the other side. And that is the question you should be really asking. Who actually needs to buy into this thing? Uh, for me to get that yes at the end of the day. I guess the best example is with my nieces and nephews, uh, my my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, they're like, please just don't buy us any more, any more stuff. We have stuff. We have so much stuff. And so it's like, oh, you know, they can advertise, you know, this is for three to 12. This is for whatever. This is made out of the best plastic that helps, you know, rainforest frogs live again or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, if people just don't need more stuff, it's like, okay, do I need to go for experiences then? Or do I need to, do I, do I need to really justify this stuff is for something other than just having? And yeah. And I mean, and, and then you're asking the grandparents, you got to, you know, see what they're getting. There's like, there's just all these human interactions that you really need to take into account, like with whatever you're selling. Yeah. Oh my God. That totally makes sense. Especially when you say it that way, like talking about this buying committee, uh, using children's presence as that example. But do you think that marketers in general, though, really think it through in that way when they're making campaigns, when they're trying to make content? Like, I'm I'm not sure any of us really do. Really shorten that question. I don't think most marketers think. 
<laughs> I, I think that's kind of true too, sadly. But I mean, I think we all try to think. I mean, I think that is our jobs, right? Is to to try and think. But I don't know. Where did it did it change at some point, or what process should we be following? Where, where do you think it's going wrong? I, I I'll be straight. So, like, I, I guess the problem that I see in in the marketing space, and I, I probably even further in the B two B space, because you need to do so much more thinking, is that the entry level to being a marketer is nil. Like, you can you can just be a marketer tomorrow if anyone really wants to be. You can you can do like a free course or whatever, and you're you're roughly a marketer. Like, no one's going to give you, no one's going to ask for your your marketing certificate or get your you know, mentor to come in and be like, yes, this is a marketer now. And so you just get regular people. And of course, in any profession, there's like not great people at that profession. And so you just get people in who who don't think about problems and you don't think about how people actually work in the real world. That is more than anything else, more than being able to do Facebook ads, being able to do copy, being able to whatever it is. If you do not have that that drive to go why like what is happening to make what is happening like what is going on what is actually happening in people's minds and in the decisions and on the ground there's never going to be there's never going to be quality marketing happening on the other side of that yeah i mean yeah you're absolutely right the you need to have that drive to ask why uh, but what sort of strategies then do you draw on to be able to craft and execute those wins for your clients yeah so it's literally it's like what is the problem that is it that is all i'm talking about i I, i've banned the use of word strategy tactics i i I don't talk about any of that stuff i go in i'm like what are you trying to achieve and what is actually stopping you from achieving that and, you know, that's anywhere. It might be awareness. It might be like, oh, I don't think we're getting enough sign-ups. It might be, you know, we can't really sell this one thing or we don't know how to do messaging for this, um, for our, for a company, whatever it is. But it's just finding the problem. It's finding what they think the problem is, finding if that actually relates to what I'm seeing in the data, and then we go on from there. And I think what normally happens in the consulting and my consulting space anyway so i'll get pulled in for one thing but it'll turn out it's like a dozen it's a dozen or more other things where you know if we if you make these tweaks then the problem that you think you have will actually become a problem that you can solve and so how do you walk a client through that are they okay to come with you on that journey or do you tend to get pushback depends like it's it's hit and miss you get it's like with anything really i mean you get some people who are like super adamant about this is the thing we need to do. I, I was talking with a potential client once and it's like, oh, you know, we need we need more case studies. We need more case studies for the sales team. And I'm like, all right, okay, uh, like why? And he's like, oh, um, you know, our, our other market has been doing them. She's like, she's been doing a great job, but she just doesn't have the time to produce these things. I'm like, oh, you know, h- how do you know they work? And he's like, oh, you know, it's not really about whether they work or not. It's about, you know, the sales team having them. And I'm like, why would you do that then? Like, this is like very, in- I, I didn't want to charge this guy. And I actually told him, like, I don't want to charge you for something I don't know is going to work because otherwise I'm just, I'm just giving you stuff. And yeah, we, we didn't go ahead with work, which was fine. Like, obviously he had those ideas, but you get other people and, you know, I'll be like, look, um, I know you've just spent a ton of money on a website refresh and a copy refresh, but like, this is not good. Like, this is, 
not how things okay yeah sure like um, if, if that's what you say like i trust you let's go with it but that's they're saying yes to that because that's the quality of what you're offering though isn't it yeah so if you're not if you're offering quality and this this is where this is where we can go into like such a rabbit hole like such philosophical uh whirlwind is like what does quality end up being because like i've worked for some clients and i hate this but They'll ask for something that's not really their problem. They're asking you to solve it. If you do solve it, like you haven't really done anything, they haven't, they're, they're not going to get anything from it, but you've, you've made them worry less or they think they have what they need. And it's just like, and, and that honestly, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but it is something I think about a lot, which is like, have I done a good thing here? Like, I don't know if, you know, if I was a, if, if you're if I was a doctor or a therapist or something, like obviously you would say no, like don't do that. They need to hear the absolute truth. But where does that filter down to marketing? I don't know. You know what? I think I think about that way too much, to be honest. And it, it's gotten me in trouble so many times. But uh yeah, that's how I approach it anyway. But that's a totally integrity-led approach. That's a very valid, beautiful human way to be. I don't even know at this point. I just think like I get a lot of comments like from both in-house and it's almost like, you know, you're very set in your ways. And I'm just like, look, I just don't want to, if I, you know what, if, if I wanted to do stuff and I really didn't care, I'd go work for pharmaceuticals because they pay a fortune and I, and I did it and I don't want to. So, you know, where's the line? Time to press pause for a second. Mark's right, we should always be checking back to the main purpose, to what makes sense. I like to think that I always do that, but you and I, we're in an industry that has just exploded in its potential, in terms of its impact, in terms of its scope, and therefore in terms of what you need to keep across. But how did we get here and why do some marketers want to toe the line and tick off those KPIs, while others want to do anything but? Are we back playing a moral tug of war again? And just how did Mark end up here, to a place in his career where he does question why we all do what we do? Yeah, so I never wanted to be a marketer. I just thought, you know, I just thought complete scumbags. And I I guess, like, part of that was the first marketers I've ever worked with, which is, like, very party-hard kind of... I don't know. They were unique in their way. And also, like, I thought these guys are really smart and you see madmen and you see like all this kind of stuff. And you just think, oh, you know, these marketers, these people, they're just so smart. And like, they've got this like gung ho lifestyle. I was like, that's just not for me. It just feels really, feels really scummy and shady. Um, and then I end up getting a contract writing gig with, um, government. Um, and then I got a recruiter call me and say, Hey, do you know what SEO is? And I was like, can't even spell it. He goes, learn SEO uh, and I'll get you this job. So I did. And I was like, hey, this this is like really interesting. This makes complete sense. Got a job as an uh, SEO manager and then I got a job as a content manager. And then I became like a marketing enablement guy in the same way there was sales enablement. And like, I just kept learning and I just kept pushing and I kept finding that, you know, what we were really doing at the end of the day was like, you have you have to tell the truth. That's what I kind of fell in love with. Like you have to find creative ways and interesting ways to tell that truth and get in touch with people and and genuinely like even if it's like a mediocre product, as long as it's 
helping their lives, like you're doing a good thing. So it just it just started ringing more more true to me. And I kept reading books and I kept doing courses. And then part of that was like leading teams and like creating strategies. And then and I guess I I let go of the idea that I wasn't smart enough or I wasn't good enough or that other people other people knew better than me because like as I was going through to that earlier point, like I keep, I'm a, I ask why, like, and I keep asking why until I feel like I have a good enough handle on the situation to do whatever it is. And just like letting go of, you know, ah, oh, it's, it's not for me. And just being like, yeah, it is like, this is, this is who I am and I can do this. And that's how I got to where I am. So, so I feel like you've come from a philosophy viewpoint on this. It's, it's more about understanding humans rather than just ticking off how to write a paid marketing campaign, which I guess in some ways is the thing that you can learn, but it's not the thing that's in you that will make you a great marketer. That I, you've nailed it so well. Like that is absolutely spot on. Like I've met some and I, I honestly think I, I don't like how marketing teams are structured for the most part because you need people who can think like that. And then you need people who can do the actual the stuff. Like I can do Facebook and Google ads. I can't do them particularly well, but I've met people who can do them really well uh, as in like the setting up the campaigns and whatnot, but like how they actually do ads is terrible. And that's because they're really good at that technical side, but they don't get people. And what, like, I mean, I, I, uh, any day of the week, I'd rather have someone who questions why and gets people and then learns that other stuff, even if it's not as good as someone else, than have someone who just doesn't get people and can do all the technical gizmos. Mm, that's, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. But, well, tell me why then did you choose to go into B2B marketing specifically? I mean, you obviously get people and you're someone who, you know, obsessively <laughs> likes to ask why. Um, is that what led you there? What was the draw card ultimately? More, it's way more challenging. It's just way more fun. Like I've I've done a bit of B2C very early in my career and it's it's not I don't know. It looks it probably looks a lot more flashy from the outside, but it's just I think with a lot of B2C stuff, there's just so much more wriggle room. And the reason I know this is because I've seen a lot of B2C marketing and it's it wouldn't survive in the B2B space. Like you you couldn't do the kind of ads that you see going around for. I think I think the best example was this um dog food brand and like you know, on this bus image of this dog food brand, it had this, I had a picture of a man you know, athletic man catching a ball and said, uh, you know, if he was a dog, he would be eating our dog food. But it's like, if it's on a bus and it's going past and you really only have about three to four seconds to comprehend what's going on, all you really see is a good looking dude catching a ball and then dog food next to it. And you're just like, are we eating dog food now? Like what, what is going on? And like in the B2B space, if you did that, like it's a, the, the, it's, it's like the fallout is just so much worse. Cause I, I don't think the dog food's any worse because of it. But if you do that in the B2B space, you're like, these guys sound like idiots. Like this is this is not good work. I'm not sure if I'm gonna go with them. So it's like the the push for quality is just so much higher. And I don't know. I just I just love that challenge aspect. Oh yeah, I totally get that. I, well, there's this, I mean, a bit of a segue, but a silly story. There's a bus here where I live 
that has is all pink and it has all of these cute like Anne Getty's babies on it, right? And every time we're in the car, my girls are like, oh, there's the baby bus, there's the baby bus. And I always look at it and think that it's a bus for like a baby photographer because that's what it, it's so stylized. That's what it looks like. It's actually a bus for an obstetrician gynecologist, <laughs> which, you know, fair enough. He delivers babies. Like I get that, but it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's so not what you'd expect, I guess. It, it, it's interesting, but it's not what you'd expect. Oh yeah. It's uh, I, I think for, for that specifically, it's like you'd want to do something really funny. You'd have to do something like really, really tongue in cheek. Like you'd have to instantly know what it means and be like, ah, you dirty dog. <laughs> Hold up. I mean, bus advertisements, we could be here all day swapping back gold, but it does feel kind of old school and not very digital, not very now. Besides, I really wanted to get into some of the more serious topics with Mark serious topics around the channels in the B2B space, the ones that are actually worth amplifying. Because Mark's constant call for us to stop and think a little deeper about why we do what we do, it's worth getting serious about, surely. I'm trying to understand the history of marketing in its totality because I read like a lot of David Ogilvy and, you know, I forgot who wrote Scientific Advertising, but like all these guys from back then, it's like, there, there seems to have been this huge, this huge push from marketing as like as, as a as a business strategy function, where they'll go out and be like, hey, like this isn't selling. You should change this about your product, or like you should change this about your entire approach. Like, marketing was a strategic function. And what I've seen, and I can't really speak to B two C, but I've seen this everywhere in B two B, is marketing is has turned into like essentially treated like a pool of interns like oh can you make me a graphic or can you do me a poster and it's just like if if your marketing team isn't thinking strategically and can't act in a strategic way or or work on strategic goals like i don't see how your business can succeed because marketing is whatever your business strategy is it cannot it cannot reach success and i I'll be pretty adamant about that. I'm not going to like pull it back to maybe, but it, it can't reach success unless your marketing team can actually pull it off. So, and yeah, again, like I don't think it from, from my peers that I have in the B2C space, it's marketing is like way more on the table because, you know, you get those instant results. We did these ads, we got X amount of buys, and then this is the feedback we're getting. So like, you're in that constant feedback loop. But I guess in B2B, because that feedback loop is so much slower um, and, you know, priorities are normally driven by, you know, CEOs that were CFOs that had nothing ever to do with people or you've got your, you know, like your engineering team is the people that create things. So it's like, oh, you know, they're the, they're the ones we have to go to for everything. And, and it goes back to that point again as well about, you know, people just sort of one day they're just a marketer. And so you have this, this dilution of talent and strategic thinking. And also you, and, and that's kind of fed into the idea of marketing is essentially what you hire the CEO's granddaughter to do because it's, it's not really a thing. It's just something anyone can do. <laughs> yeah. Because anyone can make a Canva tile, right? Yeah. Marketing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So, so which channels then are most of your marketing strategies actually amplifying through at the moment? Is it squarely in the digital world and paid? You know, what roles do channels like webinars and in-person events and speaking engagements play in the B2B space? Because I know that they've, they've definitely got a role too. So at the moment, so LinkedIn is normally going to be like, and I, I say that with all the caveats in the world, like obviously got to find what works for you. But LinkedIn is 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 the place that I see a lot of people succeeding right now. But again, it goes back to this point of like attribution is just getting harder and harder. And it goes even further back to, I forgot who it was. I think it was Ogilvy again, where he's like, you know, 50% of my advertising is working. I just don't know which 50%. And it's, it's really like that at the moment where you are, especially in B2B, where you're just fighting for that top of mind, where if you're not in the consideration set, you know, the first one, two or three things that someone uh, is thinking of when they need a problem solved, like a product or service like yours, you know, offers, then you have to fight so hard to get in there. And that might be like endless advertising, or it might be, you know, we have to do like so much more content or we have to like really like spend thousands on SEO or whatever it is. And and most of the time you have to do all of these things just to see if it works. And you have to do all of those things to a level of quality where you can't turn around and say, okay, so we, we tried this and it failed, but we don't know if we tried it well enough. And the thing that no one talks about because you can't put like a number on it at the end of the day, is nearly everything is word of mouth. My, I haven't had a single consultancy gig that didn't come through word of mouth. Like I am, I am probably way too lazy on that front now because I just haven't done any other advertising. But it's like, if you can get word of mouth, that is 99.9% of your job done. Word of mouth. You are so right. It is so boringly old school, but it's so true. Like word of mouth is everything until you probably reach that critical point where you are a known brand. But until then, you know, if you're not in the center of your business and you're not the one people talk are talking about, then, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. It's about trust, right? So it comes down to if I'm going to spend any kind of my precious energy or time or brain space on talking to someone, I want to know pretty damn quickly uh, if this is going to be worth my time. Like, I want to take a meeting with anyone in, for my consultancy anyway that I haven't like had some kind of recommendation from. It's like, hey, this is like a great client to work for. I'm like, great. Like, that's that's a load off my mind. I can go into this without having to ask these questions, like to see if there's any red flags or whatever. Yeah, that that trust is from word of mouth is, is I, I, I would give up everything else just for word of mouth. Oh, do you know what? I, I think I would too. I mean, all the other stuff is so important, like a good sales funnel, obviously a great website, good social media presence, like all of that stuff is critical. But ultimately, like most growth in that small to medium business space, at least it, it starts out with and continues for quite a while on that word of mouth. I mean, you even look at like even companies like Canva, for instance, it's still word of mouth there too, even though they're so huge. But people hear about other people talking about Canva and then they decide to give it a try. And of course, it's important that when they then go to 
whatever they have out there, their website, the tool itself, et cetera, that that matches to the experience of what they've heard someone talking about. But ultimately it's, yeah, it's just so critical. I guess it doesn't matter really what size of business you are. So tell me, what about when the quality isn't there or rather the choices are just so poor that it borders on ridiculous like that baby bus or, you know, I know you've mentioned before we started recording about the Vegemite chicken. How do we come to a place in the world where Vegemite chicken is even a thing? Oh, Vegemite chicken. Look, I think the Vegemite chicken thing was really interesting. Um, from the story I remember, you know, they they did some user testing with some Vegemite chicken. They're like, oh, you know, it, it tastes too much like Vegemite. And then and then they took it out to the market. The user feedback was, oh, you know, it doesn't even taste like Vegemite. Why would you do this? And the, the moral of the lesson is like, why? Like, why would you ever do that? Was there, like, if, if you had seen a ton of recipes coming up, trending like, oh, you should put Vegemite with chicken, totally make that thing. Apart from that, all it really is is a branding exercise of remember Vegemite. And that might have worked. That might have worked being like, yeah, I remember Vegemite. They did the, they did Vegemite and cheese and they did Vegemite and everything else. And it's just like stuff like that is when you have too much money. I, I don't think Vegemite's going anywhere, but if that was their last ever campaign, right? If they were like, we only have one more campaign before we go bust, is that what they would have chosen? No. And so everything, everything after that is, is, is just polishing the last 1%. And in that space of, polishing like in in the degrees like the very minutiae and i'm i always try to bring people right to that point mm. but how do you get to that polished one percent how do you go from that big problem to finding a campaign that's actually so refined and works really well so a lot of the time it's just trial and error and i, I have a thing i tell all my clients and anyone in the house and all and everyone is that you're just paying, you're paying tax to go from zero to one. Like you're going to lose money. It's, 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 you, you cannot guarantee ROI if some, if everything else hasn't been working. If something's working, you can improve it to get better ROI. But until you know what actually produces ROI, it's just, it's just throwing, it's throwing money at, at highly probable gambles. It's like we think we know this problem. There's a few ways we can solve it. We're going to try one by one based on what we think is going to work to the best of our ability. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll try the next thing. That's not, it doesn't always go down well, obviously. But we, I, I think it's just time to be completely honest that a lot of people can promise all the ROI and all the results in the world. But at the end of the day, we are, we are taking gambles on things and then we're trying to improve on the next gamble. And that is when you think about it, actually, what all marketing is. It, it's all a gamble because we're often as well marketing in channels that we don't own. You know, there's algorithms, there's paid ads, you know, we've rules are changing all the time. And even, you know, TV, print, like ultimately none of those are our own channels. Therefore, they're always going to be a gamble. And I guess that's where, yeah, you say it has to come back to really testing and refining and ensuring that we're we're focusing on on refining it down to being certain as certain as we can be that the next gamble is going to pay off so tell me then where do you see b2b marketing heading in the future 
there's a pretty hefty downturn for everyone in business uh, at the moment. Obviously, we're in 2023. Where do you see marketing going, though, and how's that playing out for you? Yeah, so it's weird during as as you know the economy is collapsing around us or whatever. And I've seen so many so many ads for marketing, and I think this is the first time, at least my living memory, that I can remember an economic downturn that's been followed with people actually wanting marketers because marketers are normally the first people to go because like people think we're not going to sell so why do we need a marketer and again it goes it goes back to like another thing david ogilvy says was like i think it was him anyway i'm just going to keep referencing him anyway anyway so he said that companies that double down on advertising marketing during recessions come out a lot better because while everyone has like been, you know, been forgotten, you have this whole, like if everyone else is leaving the market, you have this whole new space to get to front of mind, uh, which is amazing. And it's like, I'm not going to give people enough credit to say that's what's been happening. But I think what's happening now is people are realizing, especially in the B2B space, is that it is so hard to stand out. And the only way to stand out is to improve your marketing muscles to have some kind of message that resonates or story that means something. It's a really, really good time to be an okay marketer. And it's a really, really bad time to be an excellent marketer because people are like nervous. They just want stuff. They just want stuff done. So if you can go in there and you can just deliver like whatever they're asking for, great. But if you go in and you try to go with that strategic mindset, you're going to have like so much more pushback that you're going to have to learn to deal with. I think would be my advice anyway. Mm, Good point. And so looking at B2B marketing in terms of getting the best bang for your buck in this economic climate, do you think B2B can still have an impact on its own or is it more powerful coupled with other strategies? So I think, and I think this is a big problem I see in B2B businesses. Again, I'm not really sure if it's in B2C as well, but the level of siloing is, is in these, in a lot of these businesses is dangerous horrifically dangerous and the uh, and that and that is coupled with a complete lack of humility of you go into a company it's siloed and then devs or other people in the business like success people and you're like oh why don't you try this and it's like why would i like I, i'm not going to tell you how to do your job you don't tell me how to do my job i treat you as an expert in your field you treat me as an expert in my field but we need to be aligned at some point at the start of things happening rather than having it start somewhere and then be slowly trickled somewhere else. And I'll give you an example. Like I worked for a business where the solution to everything marketing was do a blog. And so you get these huge product releases and, and they'll be like, Oh, have you done the blog? I'm like, why would I do a blog? Like no one, like I've looked at the previous ones. No one's reading them. You're sending these people an email to go and read a blog to then try out the platform. And this is true of both customers and non-customers. And, and, and the other thing is like, I can't see the justification for why we, we built this like feature. Like wh- where was the initial research? And so once you start going back up or like back in, back in time to see like, how is these decisions made? It's like, okay, so. If you had brought me in here and you said, we want to make this feature, I would have said, okay, I can't market this as you're currently building it because one, no one's asking for it. And two, like there's no, there's no, if they, if they wanted to do something like this, there's a hundred competitors that are doing it way better than we are. So it's like, what, what 
hook are you giving me in, in your building of this product that allows me to market this successfully? You, you need to have everyone at the table, but you also need to realize what they're bringing to the table. I understand like if, if you're a, if you're a graphic designer, your visual knowledge is going to be way better than mine. Or if you're an SME, your knowledge of the area and whatever is going to be better than mine. But respecting that marketing has a, well, normally or should have a very good idea of how to take it to the audience, what hop, what hook to put behind it and, and actually sort of get people invested in trying it out is it has to be there for everything to be successful. Mm, so you're saying that the hook should be thought of when they're creating the product, not at the end. It should be at the beginning where the conversation is had about creating a product and why it's better than all those similar products on the market. Oh, nailed it. And the best way I heard it ex- explained was from my uh, mentor. And he, he took some uh, product guy aside. like, look, you tell me what you want to build. I'll tell you how I'd market it. And that is the thing that you actually build the marketed version of your idea. Because if it's like, I want to build an email client and I was like, okay, I'm going to go into the market. I'm going to see what people are missing. And if it was like, hey, I really want an email that I, I can't be marketed to through, I'd be like, okay, that is the thing that we're going to build because I'm going to go after this audience that wants this very specific thing. And the hook is you will never be marketed to through this email. Wait a sec, I can feel a pattern happening here. To do marketing really well, you have to spend the time asking the right questions, testing your hypothesis to get to that polished 1%. And that is a really big challenge, especially when businesses need sales and they need activity and marketers are constantly being questioned, what are you actually producing? It's like most marketers should probably spend 11 months of the year asking what's our problem and how can we solve it? But there's a whole business there that needs marketing to be on all the time. So it's a quandary. Speaking about producing all year round, it's probably a good time to talk about ChatGPT. I was so eager to hear what an independent thinker like Mark thinks about using AI in marketing. There's a lot of stuff that I probably could use it for, but I don't because a lot of the time it's about asking questions to this thing to try and get an answer. And by the time I the answer I want, I could have done it myself to a lot, a lot better degree. Anything that I would have normally scoured the internet for like a template for, I'll use it for that. It's never going to be a huge part of my work day or my workload, but I do think it's going to produce a ton of extremely mediocre work, which is great because I'll look amazing by comparison. Actually, I think the best thing I use it for is not starting with a blank page because if I'm trying to write something or come up with something, my greatest motivation, and I know how petty this is, but my greatest motivation is I type the prompt into ChatBT and it spits out something that's really garbagely mediocre and I go, oh, I can do so much better than that and I do it. But really, it's like it's literally just an ego thing that gets me kickstarted. Where I'm like, oh, I'm I'm better than this like multi 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 million dollar programs. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it comes down to then: do you see it as a friend that I think you do, or is it a foe, or is it a flash in the pan? It's like it's definitely around forever. It'll be around forever. And I think if you're seeing it as a foe, like you're going to lose. That's just a given. It will. It is here. It's here to stay. You got to make it work for you. 
if I need something reliably mediocre, I will go to ChatGPT. If I need something good, I'll go to a person. It's that simple. Oh, yeah. I, I hear you. And it's funny because asking this question to everyone on our podcast, time and time again, I'm just hearing so much about the value of humanness, that human work will be the quality, the high cost product of the future, that you know frontier of the ideas economy. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. Because what, what I predict will happen and, you know, don't, I wouldn't put any money on this, but what will happen is you'll have a ton of work being produced that's chat GPT and it doesn't sound quite human. I don't know about you, but like, I, I actually have like a real, and I'm not, I'm not putting this on. When I put in like a copywriting prompt and I get something back out, like I get a visceral, like almost sick reaction. Cause it's like, it's just uncanny valley. I know it's 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 so plastic and it's it's kind of gross in a way. Like I don't know why I react like that. It just it almost makes you wretch. It's just awful. I I don't think anyone will have a reaction quite as strong as me, but I think we're going to see a flood of of mediocre work that is being produced way more quickly. That's getting into people's inboxes or in ads or whatever else just so i think the volume of things being produced and its mediocrity is just going to go up and i think at the end of the day it's just like well this doesn't sound real it doesn't sound personalized this doesn't sound like anything and my trust isn't going up and that is what is being missed i think in this ai conversation is that you can produce a million times faster that's great but if they don't trust you they're never going to use you no one's ever going to be like, oh, you managed to send me five emails in, in 17 seconds. Like, oh my God, I should totally use you. It's it's just never going to work. And I guess the last thing, and I, I don't know if this is the romantic in me, but when you get a person that does something for another person, it's just a beautiful human thing. And you just can't put, you can't put a price on it and you can't, you really can't create that in an artificial way. And that's, that's I think, what we're, what's going to happen in the future. So it's just going to look for those beautiful human things. I love that. A beautiful human thing. And I guess I could sum up all of Mark's thinking around marketing as very human. Whether it's talking about what products we should make in the first place or what people are doing when they're interacting with that content. But that's the polished 1%, isn't it? That beautiful human thing that connects us to the core of other beautiful human things. It seems like we're finishing up a pretty long way from B2B marketing, but that's the ride we've taken together and I'm so glad you're here for it. Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you want to stay rebellious in how you practice marketing, how you show up in your workplace and how you live your life, please subscribe to The Content Rebels wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on a Awabakal and Darkenjund country. Produced by Pod and Pen Productions.